On this second Sunday of Advent, we light the candle of love. It was love that led him to come into this world, to clothe himself in flesh and to dwell among us. It was love that caused him to depend on Mary and Joseph for his earthly needs. It was love for which he endured the cross. Lord, we remember your sacrifice. We celebrate your coming. Thank you, Lord, for your incredible, humble love and for coming to earth for us. Amen, church. Let's stand together and let's pray as we begin our service this morning. Lord Jesus, we are in your house today. We're here to praise you. We thank you for your love. We remember your love on this day of Advent, God. And we just thank you for what you're going to do in this service this morning. We give you all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys ready to worship this morning?
few minutes we'll be uh, partaking of the Lord's Supper. Let's just get in a...
believe in life eternal. I believe in the virgin birth. I believe in the saints' communion and in your holy church. I believe in the resurrection when Jesus comes again. For I believe in the name of Jesus. I believe, I believe in life eternal. I believe in the virgin birth. I believe in the saints coming and in your holy church. I believe in the going to take communion together. Um, so go ahead and grab your little cup that you should have received when you came in. If you didn't get one, go ahead and raise your hand and one of our deacons will come around and get you one. But it looks like, looks like they did a great job today. I don't see anybody raising their hand. Good job, Jimmy. Proud of you. All right. So we're going to take the Lord's Supper together. Um, I want to just remind everybody that you do not need to be a Baptist to take the Lord's Supper here. You do not need to be a member of our church to take the Lord's Supper here. All that we ask is that you are a believer that has put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ and you have asked him to be your savior and your Lord. That's all we need to take the Lord's Supper together. Um, so I just wanna read first, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty seven. 27. It says, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. So let's take a moment just to prepare our hearts, um, to, to reflect on the things that we've done, to prepare our hearts to, to take the Lord's Supper together. So let's go ahead and pray. Confess any sins you may have done. Confess, just bring your heart and make it ready to take the Lord's Supper together. So go ahead and we can start by peeling back that top layer to get your bread out. It is a little difficult, so I'm going to give you a moment if you haven't done so already. But Paul in 1 Corinthians, he said this, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night that he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take an eat. Would you pray with me? Dear God, thank you. Thank you for sending your son 
to die on a cross for us, for his body to be broken, not for his own sins, but for ours, to take our place and to take the wrath that we deserved. We thank you for that and we thank you for his body. We ask all that's in your name, amen. And go ahead and you can open up your cup. And Paul continues on, he says, in the same way also he took the cup after supper saying, this is the cup in the new covenant of my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Take and drink. Dear God, thank you for the blood of Christ, the blood that came and washed away all of our sins, all of our transgressions, and that made us white as snow, that took the blame for us. Thank you that that was your plan to save us, to send your son. I saw this in your name, amen. Finally, Paul finishes by saying, for as often as you eat this bread and you drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's continue in worship today. Church, I'd like to invite you to stand and join with me as we just praise the God who is Emmanuel, who is truly God with us. Government is resting on your shoulder. 
Discipleship and Social Media Ministry Coordinator here at Anastasia. And like I said, we are excited to have you here in person and online joining us for worship this morning. Um, to better help connect our members and guests, we do have a text-based platform to answer any and all questions that you may have. Um, you can text the number 904-441-6900 and text the word CONNECT to get um, further plugged in here at Anastasia or even send a prayer request. Um, if you would like to know what's going on here at the life of our church, you can text the word NEWS to that same number. Um, if it is your first time here or if you have any more questions and would rather talk to someone in person, you can head over to the welcome desk in the atrium after the service. Um, a few more announcements I have for you today is that we are having a power outage in the sanctuary and the CLC the week of December 12th through the 16th. So there will be no midweek events happening. 
unless you are in youth, Sable Fest will be happening December 14th, and we are so excited for that. It's going to be a great time um, for our youth students. Um, it's almost Christmas, and we are so excited to have four services to celebrate the birth of our Savior. Here at Anastasia, across the hall, we'll be having a 1.30 p.m. and a 3 p.m. service in the sanctuary. And then here in the CLC, we'll be having a 4.30 p.m. and 6 p.m. service. Um, like I said, we are entering the holiday season in this holiday season, we as a church are collectively giving to the Lottie Moon Missions Fund. Our goal as a church is to raise $40,000 to make the life-changing truth of Jesus Christ known far and wide in every corner of the world. If that sounds like something you're interested in giving this holiday season, we encourage you to text the word GIVE to the number 904 441 6900 and as we usher into this time of worship, I'm going to just pray over our tithes and offerings this morning. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this time of worship that we have together. And I thank you for the gifts and the givers and our tithes and offerings this week, Lord. And I pray that these funds are used to make you known in every corner of the world. It's in your mighty and holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. It's so great to see you here at church today. Um, if you don't know me, I'm Pastor Brandon Elder. I'm the production and communications pastor here at Anastasia. Last week, um, we started our Advent series. If you don't know, we are in the series of Advent where we are looking forward to the birth of Jesus, which is about three weeks away. And it's really exciting. I have a bit of a ring, but I'm going to keep going. Um, so last week, we started this new series where um, we were looking at a stable influence. So Christ's influence on men, on women, on worship, and then today on families. So family can look like a bunch of different things. Um, family can be friends. I have friends that my kids call aunt and uncle that I've known for a very long time that I met when I came to this youth group here at this church. Um, Family can be a church family. Family can be your life group. We care for each other. We do our best to take care of each other. But today, I'm gonna to be referring to the family that you were born into, that you're adopted into, or a family that you make as a husband or a wife. So I know that, that there are some here today that don't necessarily have a family by those terms. I know that there's some here today that do technically have a family by those terms, but Maybe it's not the greatest family by those terms. But I know, I know and I pray that all of us one day will have a family like God intended for us to have. And that's what we're gonna look at today. So we're gonna be looking at Jesus' influence on families through the way that he came into the world and how that affects husbands and wives, fathers and mothers, and children. So I think it's pretty obvious why Pastor Walter asked me to be the, the pastor that preached on this because, you know, I have been a, a father and a husband the least amount of time of our pastors on staff, but I was most recently a child. So <laughs> it's a perfect fit. I love it. So we're going to start today by looking at Luke 2 verses 1 through 6. And if you can do so comfortably, would you stand with me in honor of God's word? Thank you. It says, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, 
and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for today. Um, thank you for sending your son as a baby to, to grow and learn and to change the lives of the world. So I pray that tonight, or today, these won't be my words, but you'll speak through me and you'll give all of us the ears to hear what you're trying to tell us today. We ask all this in your name, amen. Thank you, you can be seated. So the first way that we see that Jesus has a lasting impact on families is through an incomparable family design. If you're taking notes, it's up on there. Incomparable family design. The king of the universe could have chosen to be, make his way into earth however he wanted. Most people expected him to come down, flaming chariot, big, huge deal, it's gonna be awesome, but he chose to come as a baby, to be born into a human family and to deal with all the stuff that comes with being a child in a human family, to deal with brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters that we see he didn't necessarily have the greatest relationship with. There were struggles there. We can see that over and over of his brothers denied him, but then eventually going on to become pillars of the church. But we can see Jesus came into an earthly family through incomparable family design. The second way that Jesus has a lasting impact is through uncontrollable family disruptions. It's the next thing you can write down. Have you ever had your family disrupted by something outside of your control? I, I have for sure. Um, how many of you have been or have known a woman in her third trimester of pregnancy. I have known one. I have not been one. I don't plan on being one. But I have known one. And my experience as a support person for a woman in her third trimester of pregnancy, I know that the ideal place that she would like to be is in her bed with her feet being rubbed. That is the ideal place. So instead, I want you to think about what if instead of sitting in your bed, you were told, you had to get up and walk about 90 miles through the desert because the government told you to. I don't think my wife would have been happy. I don't think Mary was very happy. But sometimes there are things outside of our control that disrupt our family. So a government census forced them to travel outside of their control, but this disruption has divine implications. Because 700 years earlier, the prophet Micah wrote this. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. What if this uncontrollable family disruption is actually the beginning of God's divine fulfillment of his plan in your life? I'm sure it didn't feel like that when Mary had to walk 90 miles, I'm sure she was just angry. But this was all part of God's divine plan. Um, I recently read Tim Tebow's newest book. It's called Mission Possible. And by recently, I mean, I mean that I finished it this morning on my run before I came here. Um, and by read, I mean I listened to the audio book. <laughs> but it's really good, and I say it still counts as reading. Um, but this book is filled with story after story after story 
of people taking these uncontrollable family disruptions and using them for good. It's stories about families who are dealing with incredible, incredible health issues and how they are using those for the glory of God. How about families who are having children born with autism and other, other parts of being on the spectrum and how they're using that to point others towards the glory of God. So what if, instead of looking at these uncontrollable family disruptions and complaining, we look at them and say, how is God gonna use this? How is God gonna move through our life and how is God gonna further proclaim his glory through this disruption? The third way that Jesus has a lasting impact on bringing stability to the family is through uncomfortable family dynamics. Anybody have uncomfortable family dynamics? It's the holidays. We're all dealing with uncomfortable family dynamics right now. Luke 2.7 says this, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Have you ever stopped to think about why Jesus was born in a stable? Like we, we know we see it over and over that it was. We, for many years, we did the innkeeper in here, and it was a big spectacle about Jesus coming and being, they were denied a spot at the inn. But why did they go to an inn? If I'm going to my hometown, I'm probably not going to be staying at a hotel. I have family. They are going to the city of David because Joseph is of the line of David. That means he is of the line of the king. Why is he staying at an inn? Something must have happened in this city full of relatives for them to not give them a place at their home. So, could it have been that Joseph was ostracized for not being married to Mary until three months after she was pregnant? Could the family have their suspicions that maybe Joseph is not the father of the baby? Maybe the family was ashamed because they came from a line of kings and he's a carpenter. We don't know why, but we see that there must have been something, some sort of awkward family dynamic that caused this baby to be born in a stable instead of being born in a relative's home. Some of you probably have uncomfortable family dynamics. I encourage you to bring those to Jesus. He knows them. He's lived with them. He was born into them. Bring your uncomfortable family dynamics and he can move through them. So Jesus' coming as a baby affects families through incomparable family design, uncontrollable family disruptions, and uncomfortable family dynamics, but it should also affect the individual members of the family as well. The family that we're gonna talk about today is ideally made up of three parts. Not all families are made up of these three parts, or they're, they're not all made in this order, but ideally, we'd have a husband and wife become a father and mother to their children. So let's start with husbands and wives. When I got my master's degree, um, I chose to focus on pastoral counseling. And through that, I had to take a class on family and marital counseling where I became a certified premarital counselor. And I learned in that that 50% of all marriages end in divorce. That's a statistic that gets thrown around a lot. We, I knew that before I took the class. What I did not know was that that number climbs to 67% for second marriages. That number climbs further to 73% for third marriages. 
that tells us that marriage is not easy. And we can see that that's a problem in Jesus' time as well. And it also tells us that the more we give up on marriage, the easier it is to give up on marriage. So part of when I'm doing my premarital counseling is I tell them, I'm not here to tell you whether you should or should not get married. I'm here to help you understand if you get married, if you choose, I want you to be in this for the long haul. Things are gonna happen. Things outside of your control are gonna happen, but we gotta move through it. But let's look at Mark 10, verses one through 12. It says, and he left there, he being Jesus, and went to the region of Judea and beyond the Jordan, and crowds gathered to him. And again, as was his custom, he taught them. And Pharisees came up, and in order to test him, asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? He answered them, What did Moses command you? And they said, Moses allows a man to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. And Jesus said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And in the house of the disciples asked him again about this matter, and he said to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. So the Pharisees come up to Jesus and they ask him if it is lawful for a man to divorce his wife. They have been trying to establish Jesus as an opponent of the law of Moses to discredit him. Jesus doesn't answer about the law because the law is there, it's, it's, it's there. Instead, he focuses on the heart. He says that Moses allowed divorce because of the hardened hearts of the people, but from the beginning of creation, God showed us what marriage is. It's a man and a woman who become one flesh. Hey, Joseph, can I borrow your, um, your bulletin, please? Absolutely. Thanks, buddy. I meant to bring my own, but I forgot. So luckily, my buddy Joseph is right here on the front row. So if I take this bulletin, it's one bulletin, right? If I now rip it in half, I'm sorry, Joseph, I'll get you another one if you need it. I'm so sorry. You weren't taking notes yet, though, so it's okay. There we go. Pete Savage. So if I now take it, I, I don't really have two pieces of paper anymore. There's, they're technically two pieces of paper, but what is this? It's still a bulletin. It's just two halves of one bulletin, right? So when we're getting married, we become two halves of one whole. It's two people, one flesh. So that's the next thing you can write down, two halves of one whole if you're taking notes. So Jesus made it clear that, that with divorce, while it's permitted in the Old Testament and even permitted in the New Testament on grounds of sexual immorality, it's not the plan or the biblical standard because this, this is still a bulletin. It should still be together. It just got ripped apart. Mark 10, seven through nine said this, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Whatever therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So the first thing we see is that a man shall leave his father and mother. When you get married, your blood relatives are no longer the most important people in your life. And some fathers and mothers in here hear that and they get so sad. 
and I'm sorry, but when you get married, they are no longer the most important person. The most important person is now your spouse. Wives, many of you have probably dealt with the time that your husband automatically sided with your mother-in-law instead of listening to you and supporting you. Don't, don't stare, please. It's okay, you can talk about it later. Husbands, have you ever heard, well, that's not how my dad used to do it. Or my dad really would have done it, blank, insert the blank. Again, I'm not trying to start fights in here. Instead, I'm trying to prevent them because according to the teachings of Jesus, that isn't right. Husbands, support your wives. Wives, support your husbands. Leave your father and mother behind as the person that you trust and care for the most. Second, it says, hold fast to your wife. This is the verb in the Greek of proskolao. It means to glue to, to adhere to. Has anyone ever messed up with super glue? I have messed up with super glue. So sometimes it's, you're, you're trying to fix the toy that your kid broke. Sometimes you, we'll say you were, you were dusting, you were doing something good and you knocked off that piece of china that never gets used except for on Christmas, but some reason you, you registered for it so you feel bad and you have to have it out and then it gets broken. So then you frantically try to put it back together and stick it on the back of the shelf so that hopefully it never gets used because if it does, stuff is definitely coming out of it. I've never done that, that, that wasn't me. But it can be very easy to glue things together, right? It just takes a choice. I'm gonna take glue, I'm gonna put it on. It makes it difficult to get it back apart a lot of times. So just like, you know, when you're trying to fix that toy and now it's become kind of semi-permanently bonded to your hand because you, you touched it the wrong way. So you're like, oh man, let me fix this. So you put the glue down to try to get it off. And then you're like, you know what? I should probably put the cap on the glue before I do. And then you try to pick the, the glue back up and the whole table comes up with it. Again, that, I'm not talking from experience. We've all been there. And as husbands and wives, we're supposed to be glued to our spouse. We made the choice. We made a vow before them and before God. We chose to put the glue there. We are not supposed to rip it apart anymore. We're supposed to hold fast. So when things in life that come that are difficult, you can't just let go. You're glued to your spouse. Amber and I have been married about seven and a half years now. Um, and we've dealt with a good amount of just stuff in that time. Everybody deals with stuff. But I remember um, roughly six months after we got married, we had probably the worst month of our lives together. So in that month, we were getting ready to graduate from college. And the first thing that happened is we had found out that, that Amber was pregnant. We weren't planning it, but it had happened. We were very excited and she lost the baby, which is rough. Next, roughly, maybe even been the same week, Amber went and had a um, meeting with her advisor to say, hey, I'm getting ready to graduate, just wanna make sure everything's good. And they said, actually, it's not good because your financial aid didn't come through for this last semester. So if you wanna graduate, you have to pay this semester's tuition within the next week. Okay, we'll roll with it, we'll keep going. Then that same four, three to four weeks, we found out that, that Amber is a type one diabetic that we didn't know about. Um, normally that, that's found out when you're a kid, not always apparently. So it was, it was a rough, rough month. 
And if you look at some of the main things that break families apart, it's finances, it's illness, and I lost my other one, and it's children. There we go. Finances, illness, and children. And we fought all of them that first month. And each one of those times, there is a choice to say, I'm done, I can't handle this, or to say, no, we are here together, we're glued together. And I'm so glad that we decided to hold fast to each other. We decided to hold fast and move forward. So that's what we're called to do, to hold fast, to be glued together to your spouse. Now let's look at the roles of children and of parents. Ephesians 6, 1 through 4 says this, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. What is the call for children in a family? To honor and obey your parents. That's the next thing you can write down if you're taking notes. Children, honor and obey your parents. This is a natural law. I can say that because in virtually every culture and society, children are to respect and obey their parents. Even in the animal kingdom, children obey their parents. To disobey and to dishonor parents, even though it seems like it's our pretty base thing to do. I have three kids. It seems like that's what they want to do most of the time. But that's not the natural law or the natural order. Obey the Lord or obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. This is what is natural. And second, we are to give honor and obedience because it's the divine law. The fifth commandment of the Ten Commandments is honor your father and mother. And that means whether you have great parents or you have parents that are lacking, we are called to honor and obey them, even if we don't think they deserve it. And what does it mean to obey your parents in the Lord? So the Greek word translated obey is very helpful because it comes from two words meaning under and listen to. So that it literally means to listen under. Obedience involves conscious listening. If you don't really listen, then you cannot really obey. That is why parents are always saying, listen to me. I say that so many times. (laughs) Listen to me. The idea is to listen under with the intent to understand and then to do it. This does not mean that a son or daughter is to obey the parents if the parents ask them to do something that's morally wrong or it goes against scripture. Children are called to obey, obey parents in the Lord. That is, in those things that are consistent with Christ and his word. The call to honor our parents goes beyond mere outward obedience. To honor our parents means to love them, to regard them highly, to show them respect and consideration. So there will come a time when all children will outgrow the call to obey their parents. They become adults. They have their own lives. They no longer have to obey. But we are always called to honor our parents. Then parents, it says, do not provoke your children to anger. Do not provoke your children to anger. The call for parents is two parts. The first is negative. The second is positive. The negative is easy to say. Do not provoke your children to anger. Some parents ask for things that are beyond the capacity of a child. The kid just cannot do it. Some parents find faults in everything. I coach my son's soccer team. And every week, I pass by field after field of kids that are trying their hardest 
and parents that are yelling at them to do more. Another way that that parents can provoke their children to anger is inconsistency. I have a friend that's just given up on their parents at this point. She's been let down so many times that she just never gets her hopes up anymore. It still hurts every time, but she's given up. Inconsistency. Parents, a child is like a flower. They can be very easily crushed or they can blossom into incredible beauty and it's up to the caregivers to decide which one happens. Paul lays out a formula with three elements working together. The first is gentleness. The word word bring them up means to nourish or to feed or can be translated as let them be kindly cherished. We are to be tender in bringing up our children. If you want an example of someone being tender, watch a man hold a newborn baby for the first time. It doesn't have to be his own, but it's the first time a man has ever held a baby baby. I remember when we brought my son Grayson home, I was terrified of any movement could break him. He was so small, I had never held something that little before that had a life in it, and it was terrifying. If you want the opposite of tender, watch a man bring home his third child, and that thing's like dangling by its foot, and he's just like, all right, we got it, it's cool. But we are called to be gentle and to be tender. I feel so sorry for my daughter, Mabel. I'm like holding her with one hand while her brothers are jumping on top of me, and it's like, you're fine, it'll be good. The second element is discipline. So I went to a private Christian school from kindergarten to fourth grade. Um, And my parents would get calls all the time from the secretary. Um, She would say something along this line. I've heard it so many times, so I'll go ahead. Hello, this is Mrs. Barwell. She had a, a very nice accent. I have Brandon in my office again. He seems genuinely repentant, but he was sent to me again. Um, to the point, like, by third grade, I would just waltz in and be like, hey, going to the desk. It was not good. So every year, though, this was, a, again, a private Christian school, which means they, they could use corporal punishment at that point if they wanted to. It was the 90s. You could do that stuff. So it would get to the point where Miss Barwell would say, okay, this isn't working. I'm gonna send you into the actual principal's office. And the principal, I'd walk in, hey, it's not good. She would grab the paddle and just be like, this is what's gonna happen next time. Kind of slam it down on a book. I never went that next time into the office. That, that, that discipline was enough for me to say, okay, I'm done. I'll, I'll get in line now. So discipline is so very important. Proverbs 19, 18 says, discipline your son for there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. Proverbs 15, 32, whoever ignores instruction despises himself, but the one who listens to reproof gains intelligence. Hebrews 12, 11, for the moment of all discipline seems rather painful than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Discipline produces practical righteousness. It also produces peace, shalom, well-being, wholeness. That's what it did for me. The third element is instruction. Clear instruction is necessary for a proper upbringing. And clear instruction takes time and it takes thought. Two things that are lacking in today's day and age. But clear instruction takes time and thought. And time 
and thought can make all the difference. Whenever I'm asking my, my son Grayson to do something, if he's just not getting it, most of the time it boils down to, it's my fault. I'm not making it clear. I'm not helping him to do well in this. It's not on him. He's an almost six-year-old. He, he does not understand what I'm asking. It's on me. Time and thought. So families are a God-given gift, but they are not easy to maintain, to nurture. But luckily, the life of Jesus and the word of God is full of instructions of how to do this. So I pray that you will experience the incomparable family design that God has created. I pray that God will move through the uncomfortable family disruptions and the uncomfortable family dynamics in your life. I pray that husbands and wives in here would cling to each other when times are hard. I pray that children would honor and obey their parents and that parents would not provoke their children to anger, but instead raise them with gentleness, discipline, and instruction. We're coming to a time today in our service, um, a time of invitation. So if anyone's in here and you would like to learn more about becoming a Christian, you'd like to learn more about joining our church, about getting baptized, I would love to talk to you. I'll be down here at the end of the song. If you just wanna come forward and pray for your family, pray for your husband, your wife, your children, whatever. The altar's open. We would love to have you, but let's pray. Dear God, thank you for today. Thank you for sending your son to die for us. Thank you for the many examples that we have of families in the Bible. I pray for the fathers, the mothers, the children, and the husbands and wives in here that you would move in their lives, that their families would be brought closer together and not torn more apart, and that you would continue to use the families in our church to impact our city and our world with your love and your plan. We ask all this in your name. Amen.
Church, before we go this morning, I want to invite the uh, France mission trip team to come forward. They're getting ready to go to France. Bonjour. Comment ça va? <laughs> come on up. Do we have any others from the team? Any others from the team? Just you guys? Okay. Uh, tell us, tell the church what you're going to be doing in France. We're going to work with the church in Buzancay, France. We've been given the opportunity as Anastasia Baptist Church to plant a church in the middle of France. And we're going to continue those relationships that God has given us. We're asking the Lord to bring souls for the labor at this time in our relationships with these people that God would show them who he is and they would trust Jesus as their Lord and Savior. We need your prayers as we go been developing relationships for the last three years. The building is uh, not complete yet, and uh, we're praying that uh, that moves along a little quicker. But uh, this time, we have specific opportunities to sit down in homes and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And God has given Lydia and I the gift of language to be able to continue to speak French. And so we're really looking forward to that. We need your prayers. We have a prayer guide. And uh, if you'd like that, just see us after the service. Amen, amen. So let's, if, if you can reach out your hand. You know, we also have a, a group from our church in Israel right now, so we want to lift them up. But uh, let's pray for Asa and Lydia and the team that's going to France. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would uh, just carry them on your angel's wings. Uh, over to the country of France for this church that they are planting. God, we're so excited. Lord, thank you for this church that is mission-minded that wants to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so, Lord, we pray for their safety. We pray for their protection. We pray for their health. We pray for opportunities uh, to share the gospel. And Lord, we're just excited as this church is being birthed uh, that, Lord, as we sow seed, God, it will we'll reap a great harvest. And we pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen and amen. God bless you guys. Church, have a great Sunday.